My name is Rafael. Uh, I'm one of the elders here and also part of the teaching team. Uh, first and foremost, I just want to say kudos to Taka because clearly I was not here last Sunday. And, and I don't know if you ever had a speaking engagement, but nothing is worse than to like miss the speaking engagement because prepping for a message is not easy. So uh, thank you. Uh, for, for, there we go, for, for coming up last Sunday. Uh, I did watch her home. It's one of my favorite messages I think you've ever, and I told you this before, that you've ever spoken. Uh, but I was a little sick last weekend, and uh, I'm fine now. But I just want to kind of give you like an FYI. I do have a little phlegm still stuck in the throat every once in a while. I'm hoping nothing comes out because that is the grossest thing, and I don't want to do any of it. But in case it does, just forgive me and be a little gracious with me uh, because I don't want to embarrass Taco or Voice or Jesus, and I don't want to become a meme because uh, I have coworkers who are watching online, whatever camera is working. If y'all loved me, y'all would have been here. Just want to let you know, wherever, wherever the camera is at, uh, over there, over there. Hi, Louisa. Be nice to me tomorrow. Okay. Let me just pray, and then we're going to go straight to the message today. Lord, I just want to say thank you, Lord. It's, it's extremely humbling just being here, Lord. And, and I am so thankful for just the opportunity, Father, to be up here again and just share what you place in my heart. Pray, Lord, I pray for those who are in here, Lord, and I say this prayer all the time. I have no idea where many of them are going through, but you do. And I pray that whatever words come out of my mouth will be words that will encourage, words that will bring forth your love. And I pray that they will be able to meet you today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We've been in a series called Breaking Bread Series. And honestly, it's been for me, um, I, I, I've, been telling this people, I've been telling people this all the time. I don't think, it's not that I don't think, I don't know if I want to be up here every single Sunday preaching. Uh, it's a lot of stress and anxiety that I don't like going through. And I respect people like Taka and the pastors that are here who are doing this every single Sunday. But I love the fact that every, every so often, God gives me messages that he just downloads in me. And one of the reasons why I was excited about this message, honestly, it was, is because breaking bread has been a lifesaver for me. It, it's been, it's been a, something so special that God has used with just people. And I'm not going to share all my story with Lord because I know I've done that over the, over the last several speaking engagements that I've had here. But honestly, just being able to grab coffee with some of you in here has been so life-giving. Uh, just being able, just the fact and the idea that you sacrifice some time out of your business, out of your, your spouse's time, your family time, whatever it may be, just to hang out. Especially two, three years ago when every time we were hanging out, it was just me complaining. It was so life giving. And one of the reasons why I wanted to write this, and one of the reasons I believe God gave me this, is because there's so many things that we can learn when we just look at Jesus and everything that Jesus did when it came to food. You know, Natalie came in the first week, and, and, and it's one of my favorite stories, and I love how she spoke about it that particular Sunday, like the idea that there were two people who were followers of Christ who had seen Jesus do so many amazing miracles, had left, and now they're questioning whether or not, hey, was that really the Messiah? Like, was that really Jesus? Were we really following the one who said he was going to come here and rise up and go back, to, go back to heaven again? And then Jesus, the Bible says, just appears. And they begin on this seven-long-mile journey where Jesus simply listened to them. He heard their doubts. He heard their confusion. And it wasn't until they got to the table where Jesus, literally the Bible says, he blessed the bread that their eyes opened up. And he leaves. And the two that were left behind said, man, wasn't it amazing how we felt when Jesus was here? Like, wasn't it amazing? Like, yo, my heart was burning because Jesus was here. We didn't even know it was him. Like, we had no idea. We walked for seven miles, and if you walk like I walk seven miles, it's an eternity. 
It takes a long time. And the whole time they're walking with Jesus, they didn't realize it was Jesus. I mean, how often have we had the walk and we don't know that the, per the people that God is sending us are there for Jesus. And it's not until we break bread with them when we realize, yo, this person loves God. Isn't it amazing that we can live out our life in actions, not through words. And when we sit down with people and have dinner with them and have lunch with them, wouldn't it be amazing that when we leave, they go, yo, let's do this again with them. Like, let's do this again, because hanging out with them brought forth so much joy, so much joy. And then talking came up here, and it was a great story about Peter. And it was amazing how Peter was fishing when God finds him, and then Peter was fishing again when he rejects him. And it's an amazing story how we as humans often act when we have encounters with God. Like God finds us, finds us where we're at. He meets us there. We are changed and transformed. And then somehow we manage to go back to the same spot, just like Peter, and do the exact same things that we were doing without Jesus. And then what did Jesus do? Come here, Peter. Let's go eat breakfast, man. And let's sit down and break bread. And yo, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Then do what I've called you to do then do what I've called you to do. There will be times where we break bread and hopefully we have that relationship where I can go, Taka, yo, I know if you messed up, but do you love Jesus? And the hope is that he goes, yeah, I do, man. Then do what he's called you to do. Breaking bread is not just a weird slogan that we're trying to ingrain in your minds. Breaking bread with one another is life-giving. At least it should be. It is supposed to be a moment where we're able to share in an intimate way our lives and your lives, and we can share our stories, and we can become vulnerable with one another. So when we leave the table, you're blessed, and I am blessed. And so I hope that today, by the time that we're done with this, we're going to be talking about two dinner tables. One that has nothing to do with God, and one that has to do with everything with God. And the hope is if you're part of the first table, that God will challenge you today because there will be some very pointed words stated today. And the hope is if you're in the second table, that you continue to host just like God wants us to host, those that God has given not only to us but surrounding us with. So I'm going to talk about these two tables talking about four different people. One of them is David, Saul, Jonathan, and Mephibosheth, which is a weird name that I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, so give me grace. But we're going to talk about those four different people. So the Bible says this. Before we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17, King Saul is the very first king of Israel. And, and, and he, he started off all right, and then he's ending pretty, pretty bad. And one of the biggest issues that Saul was encountering as king of Israel, which is God's people, the Christians of the time, was that he was doing things the way that he wanted them to do. Uh, and he was, he was being super disobedient. Eventually, God kind of got tired of it. All right, I'm going to raise somebody else by the name of David. And this is more or less the beginning and the journey of David's journey to replace King Saul as king. So we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8 through 11. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites, listen to this. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now this is the king, the king of Israel. This is the commander of the armies. He is the prone person that everyone looks at whenever there's a circumstance or a difficult situation. It's like parents. One of the most difficult things to do as a mom and dad is when something is going wrong 
is to show this face of positivity so that your kids don't go around and go crazy. This is the king of Israel. And there is one person, a behemoth of a man, a fighter. Clearly he's a champion. And he came out every single day for 40 days and taunted them and asked them to confide in nobody. Not one person had the quote-unquote bravery, the courage to be able to stand up and face this giant named Goliath. And it wasn't until David who happens to kind of go through the, go, go through the war land that he hears Goliath and he goes, Yo, how come nobody's fighting them? Don't they know that God is with us? So what did David do? Well, David, according to verse 40, says, He picked the five smooth stones from the stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. Now, this next line cracks me up. Because when we get to verse 43, am I a dog, he roared at David. Like, like he's, David is carrying his shepherd's stick. This Goliath apparently is really big, so he is referencing the shepherd's stick. He's like, yo, you're really going to come fight me with this stick? Like, you're going to go throw it, and I'm going to go fetch it? Like, is that what we're going to do? He, he does not believe that David has what it takes to defeat him. And as you read the story, he does. He is defeated. And then we get to chapter 18, which is crucial to the story that I believe God is trying to tell you. After David had finished talking with Saul, because, again, remember, it's a big deal. Goliath was making fun of them, taunting them for 40 straight days. And out of nowhere, this shepherd, a person who took care of animals for a living, came up and killed Goliath. And it says that after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with them and wouldn't let him return home. And then Jonathan made a solemn pact with David. Now look at this pact. Because he loved him as he loved himself. That's going to be crucial later. Remember this. Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Now Jonathan sealed this pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David. He took off his tunic, gave it to David. He took off the sword, the bow, and the belt, and he gave it to David. Now, why would he do this? He was letting everyone know that if anyone does anything to David, it will be as if they were doing it to him. If anybody was criticizing David, it will be as if they're criticizing Jonathan, who is the prince of Israel, the next person in line to be the king. Now, he doesn't know that David is there to replace him. As you read the story, it will be more clear to you. We're kind of skipping through the part of the story today. But Jonathan was telling his dad and everyone who was present, yo, I love this dude. I know that God has brought him here, and I want everyone else to know that if you do anything to him, it will be as if you were doing it to me. Now, this is crucial because I dare say that Jonathan had no idea the promise that he was making. He had no idea the journey that David was going to go through and the journey between Saul, his father, and David had no, zero idea. But he made a promise and he kept it. So as the story goes, as we read chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, it says this in verse 6 to 8. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry, like he's the king. Why would they say, Saul, you only killed a thousand, but this dude over here, he killed ten thousand men. And they made him very, very angry. What is this, he said. They created David with ten thousands, but they only created me with thousand. Next time, they'll be making him 
their king. This was jealousy. And I don't have time to go through the whole book of, of the whole chapter 18. And you should. This jealousy became anger. This anger became rage to the point that he couldn't stand being around David. It got so bad that when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1, for it says this, Saul now urged his servants, including his son Jonathan, to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affections for David, told him what his father was planning to do. Tomorrow morning, he warned, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can to find out. This is, this is not only the first time, it's not only the second time. You'll see this play out if you go back and read the book of Samuel. That time and time again, Jonathan stuck, stuck out his neck and just stuck out his neck for David because he knew and realized that his father, King Saul, wanted to kill him over and over and over again. And what did Jonathan do over and over and over again? He protected him. He fought his father. He tried to have his back every time he realized that, King, that David was going to get killed or was trying to be killed, he will find a way to go talk to his friend David over and over and over again. So we finally get to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3 and 4, it says that then David took an oath, which is another promise, before Jonathan and said, hey, your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. He has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan, why should I tell him? But I swear to you that I know I'm steps away from death. I swear by the Lord and by your own soul Tell me what I can do to help you, Jonathan exclaimed. And then it says in verse 12, that Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day, at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he's angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. Now listen to the next part because it's, 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 it's it just gives you a different perspective. And may, may the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. He recognized at this point Jonathan knew that at one point God was with Saul. He knew that at one point King Saul loved the Lord. He knew that at one point as a king he was trying his best to get it done. And as time went back, at least to Saul, his jealousy, his anger, his rage got the best of him. He could not control his emotions at all. And even his son Jonathan was able to recognize, like, David, I know God is with you. I can see it. I can sense him with you. But with my father, he's no longer with him. So we get to verse 14. And may, and may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, to my family with this faithful love. And even when the Lord destroys all of your enemies from the face of the earth... So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, may the Lord destroy all of your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again. For Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. It's a beautiful friendship based on love. David knows at this point that at any moment, if he sees Saul or meets up with Saul, he's done. He understands that if he's, if he's in the presence of Saul, he's going to die. So Jonathan also understands that, yo, like, I'm going to go talk to my dad one last time, and I'm going to for reals ask him if he wants to kill you, because if he does, you need to leave. You need to get out of here, but if he doesn't, stop being dramatic, David. All is going to be all right. So they will finally get to the very first table, 
that we're going to talk about today. And that is found in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 24 and 26. It says this. So David hid himself in the field. Now, again, he's terrified that he's going to get killed. And when the new moon festival began, think of Thanksgiving, think of Easter, think of Christmas. The king sat down to eat. He sat at his usual place against the wall with Jonathan sitting opposite of him and Abner beside him. But David's place was what? Empty. There's a missing person in this table. See, I think we do or we try our best to to acknowledge during Father's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas, those big holidays. And we acknowledge that oftentimes our tables has a missing person. And oftentimes we say it from the lens of like, yo, we get it. You will love to see your mom again or we will love, you will love to see your dad again or your brother, whoever it may be. But in this case, I'm going to flip the script a little bit here today. Why is David not there? Why is David's table or why is his chair, his person missing? It's because of the host. There's so much jealousy and anger and resentment in Saul's heart that even his son, including David, knows that if he shows up to this table, it's going to be a big mistake. How often have we been like Saul and we have let our emotions, our anger, our rage, our jealousy get the best of that table that not even your son-in-law is welcome in your table or your daughter-in-law is not welcome to your table? You've been so consumed with this idea that someone is here to replace you, just like Saul was wrapped up with the idea that someone was there to replace him. And he couldn't handle the fact that God had different plans for Saul and that God had different plans for David. And now that David is there, Saul is doing whatever he can possibly do to eliminate him and eliminate him so far away that he doesn't want him at his table. The only reason why Saul wants him there is not to love him. It's not to show him his royal gifts. It's not to do anything else besides have an opportunity to kill him. To kill him. And I know this may be a trigger point for others. But can I challenge you today, grandpa, grandma, mom, and dad? I'm thinking about this now. My daughter's five years old. I want to be able to have Christmas and Thanksgivings and Easter with whoever my wife, not my wife, I'm sorry, my daughter wants to marry. And I hope that that son loves football like I do. And I hope that he loves food like I do. And I hope that when he comes to the house, he feels loved and welcome and included in her family. But can you take a moment and just analyze your family? Because honestly, when we talk about Thanksgiving, even here, I hear it. I say it. It's not always the most fun eating at your in-law's table. It's not always the most energetic when people come to your house. And oftentimes we don't even see it because we got blinders on. And we put the blame on the other person instead of super analyzing and saying, yo, am I doing something that is excluding someone that needs to be included at my table? It's not that David did not want to be there. He knew better. It's a big holiday. He knew better. He knows that he needs to go home for these kind of things. But instead, he's hiding. He's hiding. And the Bible says that he's hiding somewhere in the fields. So then we get to verse 30 because it's the next day. And Saul realizes that David is still not there. And 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 30 says this. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid. (laughs) I laugh here because I told Taka this line. And I didn't have the courage to say it to you in front of church. But if you really wanted to see the full extent of how Saul was speaking to his son, 
Go back and read it. Because that's not the end. I just felt super uncomfortable reading that to you out loud. It says, you <laughs> stupid, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? If you think that's bad, what I deleted was worst. Go back and read it. He's, he's attacking his son. He has nothing to do with this. Well, a little bit. That's, again, I don't have time to go through the whole story. And then <laughs> listen to verse 32. But why should, you, why should he put you to death? Now, Jonathan is defending David. Why, what has he done to you? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to what? Kill him. This is table number one. And I hope that all of us could come here and sit and agree that we don't want to be a part of this table. Like, there's nothing fun at this table. We've all been there. We've all been there and we sat down in front of our parents because oftentimes we as parents are the dumbest ones in that particular room and we don't know better and our emotions get the best of us. But I think we can all relate with Jonathan here. When your mom or dad says something to you but you don't know where it came from, you're like, yo, whoa, why would you say that? Like, where did this come from? Jealousy, unchecked anger, unchecked rage got the best of Saul. And in fact, we can even argue that's one of the primary reasons why he's no longer king. So then the Bible says that verse 34, that Jonathan leaves the table in fierce anger and he refuses to eat. Now he finally goes back, and you're not going to see this verse up there, but he finally goes back and goes, looks for David. He goes, David, you were right, man. My dad, he really wants to kill you. He really wants to kill you. Now just listen to this. Both of them were in tears, the Bible says in verse 41 as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. This was the last time they saw each other. This was the last time they embraced as friends. Because after this, if you go back and read it, King Saul ends up getting killed, and so does Jonathan. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> and they're done. So we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Now here, Jonathan is remembering the promise, sorry, David is remembering the promise that he made to Jonathan. He remembers the pact, and it says this. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? For whose sake? For Jonathan's sake. Later we'll find out there's a different reason, a better reason in my opinion, because rich people are dumb. But he's doing this. For Jonathan's sake. He's not looking for anybody just because just he woke up one morning and said, hey, I'm going to do something nice. He remembered the promise that he made his friend that if something were to happen to him, he would take care of them. So now we find ourselves in a place where David is thinking about the promise that he made his friend Jonathan. And Jonathan says, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? I know it sounds cheesy, and I know we say it all the time, and it doesn't lose the value behind it. But if we really want to establish a table that everyone is welcome to, it must start with love. And no matter how cheesy that sounds, and no matter how overplayed that is in church, and no matter how many times we over 
overstated. Love is the key motivator for Jesus and you and I. Love is the reason why you and I are here today. And love is the reason why David is looking for somebody to bless. He's not doing it because he wants to be a good human, even though someone argued that he wasn't in many different ways. He's doing this because he's remembering the promise that he made his friend, the person that literally laid down his life for him, the person who literally went to war with his family, the person who literally said, yo, I know I'm next in line, but I understand that God's will and his promise is greater than what I want. So David, I'm going to get out of your way, the next person in line, and I'm going to let you be king in my place because that's what God wants. It's not what I want. Who wants to give out, give up their prestigious, the royal family, the money, the blessings that comes from being king? And yet he was willing to sacrifice it all. Why? Because of God. It's all because of God. So David is here right now saying, Lord, yo, I remember the promise, and I'm going to look for somebody, and this person better be related to Jonathan because I'm doing this for Jonathan's sake. So when we get to verse 2, it says, he summoned a, na- a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, now listen to this, I want to show God's kindness to them. Yes, initially it's about Jonathan, but he also understands that he serves a Lord. He serves God, and he ultimately wants to show God's kindness to this person. Now, Ziba responded, yes, one of Jonathan's son is still alive, but he is crippled in both feet. Where is he, he asked. And Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son, Maker, son of Amnon. Now, notice this, that the first thing that Ziba responded, like, yo, I know somebody. His name is Mephibosheth, but the first thing I want you to know about him is that he's crippled. It's not that he's a good man. It's not that he's a great husband. It's not that he's a great productive citizen of society. I want you to know that yes, there is somebody you can bless, but he is crippled. That was the first thing that came out of Ziba's mouth. It wasn't as in like, it wasn't like, yo, yeah, he's crippled. It's no, David. There's somebody you can bless, but he's crippled. He's less than. He's not appreciated. Oftentimes, people with disabilities during this time were seen as a curse. You did not want to be around some of these people. So he's letting David know, yes, you can bless somebody, but know, David, that he. I love the response that he gives next. Where is he? I don't care if he's crippled. I don't care there's something wrong with him. I don't care what you think his worth is. Where is he? Where is he? Look at the urgency. The urgency that's coming out of David. He's so desperate to find somebody to bless. Because he's remembering the promise he made Jonathan. And ultimately, he knows who he serves. Where is he? Now, I don't put a lot of attention in words. But Lodabar means a city of nothing. Now, I couldn't find anything online, and I know this is objective at this point. Can we just imagine for a second that here is a man, Mephibosheth, who people often think he's worthless because of his physical disabilities. And he's in a city called a city of nothing. A worthless individual, according to others, who lives in a city of nothing. What if we love people? Because we realize that the worth is not determined by them or society. But the worth comes from Jesus. What if we love people 
because we realize that their worth is not determined by them or by society, but their worth is. Notice he didn't say love the person who are related to you. You know, we often see homeless people like that. We often see, quote, unquote, one of those as we walk. There was no prerequisite, none given by God. God says, love me, love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and strength. Love me with all of your heart. Second thing, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Now, here's what the Bible says in 1 John 3.16. And this is the message Bible, and I love how pointed this is. This is how we come to understand and experience love. Christ, but for Jonathan, for David, it was Jonathan. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for us. See, some brother or sister do something about it, but turn a nothing. What happens to God's love disappears. And it said, you made it. Probando, probando, gloria a Dios, got it. <laughs> Again, let me just read the last part because it's important for me to share this. If you see some brother or sister in need and you have the means to do something about it, but you turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? And it says, it disappears, and you made it disappear. I know we often are not disappointed with our messages here. But I really want to challenge you today. Challenge you today. How often have we made God's love disappear? How often have we legitimately turned the other side? Because we go, it's the drugs that did it. I mean, how often have we walked down the street and then we walk to the other side out of fear? And I know some of those things are warranted. I get it. I'm a person of color. I've, I've seen it all. I've experienced things. But it's very pointed what God says here. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. The reason why many of us are here today is because someone did what the Bible says, and that is they laid down their lives for you. For you. As we continue to read the story in 2 Samuel verse nine, verse, chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, it says this. Now when, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear for I will surely, surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all, that the, all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continue. Now listen to his response. Shuffling and stammering, now looking him in the eye. Mephibosheth, who am I that you pay attention to a, dig, a stray dog like the NIV version says, who am I that you would notice a dead dog like me? 
It was very apparent and obvious that Mephibosheth viewed himself the same way others viewed him. Crippled. Less than. Worthless. Not worthy of entering the presence of King David. Even after, say, even after David said, you're welcome at my table. You're welcome at my table to eat every single day. Mephibosheth says, yo, not looking, not looking him in the eye, looking around, who am I that you would notice a stray dog like me? Now, as we read on, it says this, then David then called Ziba, Saul's right-hand man, and told him everything that belonged to Saul and his family, I've handed over to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants will work his land and bring in the produce, the provisions for your master's grandson. Mephibosheth himself, your master's grandson, from now on will take his meals at my table. Verse 11. Although my master, the king, has ordered his servant, answered Ziba, your servant will surely do. And Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the royal families. A couple of things and I'll close. Number one, everything that he had lost, Mephibosheth, was restored at the king's table. See, every time Mephibosheth will enter that table, you know what nobody else could notice? His crippleness. It was under the table. Nobody was able to see that. Nobody was able to judge him for that. He was where? At the king's table. Protected. Loved. Provided for. Everything that was stolen from Saul, everything that was taken away from Jonathan, was fully returned to Mephibosheth. And why? Because she, David wanted to show God's kindness to somebody. When I heard this for the first time, which was years from now, I really felt God said something along the lines to me, and I want to share this with you. I really felt that God was saying, hey, Ziba, hey, Ziba, do you know anybody from the Monroy clan? Oh, you do? Yeah, but his dad is an alcoholic. And I could totally see here God says, I don't care about that. I just want to bless the Monroy clan for Jesus' sake. Hey, Palmas. Hey, Palmas. Hey, can I bless somebody from the Palma clan? And I could hear Ziba say, yeah, but they're dysfunctional. And I could hear God said, I don't care about that. Can I just bless him for Jesus' sake? Hey, Igushis. Hey, Ziba, Ziba, do you know anybody in the Igushi clan? I do, but God, you don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what's in their closets. I, I, I don't care. I just want to bless them for Jesus' sake. I mean, when was the last time you blessed somebody because of Jesus' sake? This whole series is revolving around the idea that if we're going to make a difference in somebody's life, breaking bread with them is essential. Eating with them is essential. Being with them, meeting them exactly where they're at, even if they retract it because God knows that if it wasn't for the ministry that the Yagushis have planted here, 
I wouldn't be here. There's no way that I would preach in God's word again. And it all stems from loving God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And the second one is just as powerful as the first part. And love your neighbor. Lord, I just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for just being so gracious with us today. Lord, I pray if anybody's in the first table, Lord God, and if anybody has been involved on the first dinner table, that we, Lord Jesus, can have the courage to stand up, ask for forgiveness, and try our best to do the second table. Lord, I pray, Father, if there's anybody in this room who feel like Mephibosheth, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will meet them exactly where they're at. I pray, Lord Jesus, that I know as cheesy and as lovey-dovey as it sounds, it doesn't take away from the truth that your love changes everything. Everything, Lord. Everything about me and everything about every elder and every person inside this room. We are here because we were included at your table. And I pray, Lord Jesus, the, the amount of grace that we ask for, is the amount of grace that we give out. I pray, Lord God, that the amount of love that we ask for is the same love that we put back out. Father, don't let us get so wrapped up with our own emotions. Don't let us get so wrapped up with our rage and jealousy and anger that we miss the fact that there's a David that we must pour out to. And just like Jonathan, Lord God, who risked everything, I pray that we can learn to risk it all for your sons and daughters, for the least of these, for those, Lord Jesus, who are not easy to love, to those who are not easy to be embraced, to those who are not easy to forgive. We say we said it once and we say it again. We will never understand what grace truly is because we often, Lord Jesus, put limitations on who you can save. But Lord, you died in the cross for me just like you died on the cross for the murderer. Lord, you died in the cross for me, just like you died for the adulterer, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as much as it's about breaking bread, I pray, Lord Jesus, today, that we will learn to love with the sacrificial love that you have demonstrated to us over and over and over again. We love you, Lord Jesus. And Jesus, let me pray. As we dismiss here, um, man, that was challenging. Uh, I don't know about you, but that was, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, I'm supposed to say that right now. Man, I'm telling you, I've made my, I've had my fair share of awkward dinner table moments that I've created. Anybody else been there? And when I think, when Raphael was talking about that, I, I felt, you know, personally attacked, to be honest. Uh, but, I was thinking about, okay, Taka, why, why, why did that happen? I felt like, you know, Will Ferrell, uh, you know, going, I drive a Dodge Stratus, you know, and, and somebody was like, what are you talking about? Just Google it. Uh, anyways, but um, like, why, why did those moments happen? And I think for pretty much all of them, um, I just made it about me. I just became too important. And I made the whole situation about me. And it's easy to get personally offended in those moments. And when your, your offense 
can push people away. And so thank you. I mean, that was super challenging. I do feel like I'm supposed to say this too. Raphael, you are, I'm just so proud of who you've become. And even more than that, who you are becoming. I remember the person that DM'd me on Instagram uh, four years ago uh, and said, hey, would there be a place for me at this idea of voice church? Um, Man, you're just not even that person anymore. You are kind, you are humble, you are teachable, you are gifted. So glad you're a part of the church. And Kathy, I mean, you're so much better than Raphael. I mean, just, it's not even a comparison. Um, but I remember when we had a meeting at my, our house way before the church launched, and you were, I remember exactly, you were sitting on the edge of the couch by the wall. And you were talking about how, you know, I, I think I would like to lead worship. And, but there were, you know, mental barriers and all that kind of stuff, and to see who you've become. And again, who you are becoming. You are confident, you are anointed. That's the word we used back then. That's a word I still believe. You are anointed and gifted to lead people in worship. And so it's so amazing to see you become a part of that and become more confident in your pastoral calling. So, man, we were just honored to be part of your journey. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, as we uh, dismiss, uh, a few things just want to let you know. Again, if you want to get more connected, we'd love to help you get more connected to the church. We're not a group that just has services. You know what I mean? We're a community that gathers once a week to, yes, worship and be encouraged and pray for one another. But, man, there's so much more than that outside of Sundays. And if you want to be a part of that, uh, man, let us know. Or maybe you're someone who's going, you know, I made a decision to follow Jesus today. Uh, or I made a decision to, you know, my heart's drifted. I've made a decision to recommit my heart to Jesus today. Man, put that on the card. We'd love to give you some resources to help you uh, on that journey. You know, uh, next week we start a new series called Proverbs and we're going to take, you know, it's a very, um, very creative title about Proverbs called Proverbs. And so uh, we're going to go through 12 weeks uh, and the, the, the kind of the underlying principle for the series is a life well-lived. A life We want to live a life that's just well-lived. At the end of our days, we want to look back at a life and go, I wasn't perfect, but man, I, that, I lived a good life a life of blessing and a life I'm proud of, you know, and any regret and shame, I put it underneath uh, the grace of God. And so we're starting that next week, 12 weeks. It's gonna take us through December or up until December where we start our Christmas series. It's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? On a day where it's 104 degrees. Uh, But yeah, so uh, that's happening. Uh, Last thing before uh, we leave, every time we gather, we take a free will offering. If you wanna be a part of that, uh, we say this all the time. You don't give to the church, you give through the church. So we're not taking this and, you know, buying Teslas for the staff. Uh, you know, we're taking this and putting it into the community and building people up and saying, God, how do you want us to steward your money uh, so that we can bless this community and build your church? And so if you want to be a part of making that uh, happen, you, there's a bunch of ways you can give. It's on the screen or if you're watching online, it's in the, uh, you know, lower thirds there. Um, so with that, every time uh, we uh, dismiss Uh, we uh, pray the same thing. Our values as a church is that, uh, God, you would uh, speak with each person, you would speak through each person, and then you would speak through us as a church. And so the way we do that is we put our hands out like this as a sign of surrender. And I hope this doesn't become rote and ritual to you. Um, But this is a way of saying, God, send me out as a missionary. And if there's a way that we can support you after service or pray with you in any way, prayer teams will be over here on the other side of the speakers. We'd love to do that. Uh, So let's pray. God, we one more time say, uh, there's so much power in the church gathered, but man, there's even more power, I believe, in the church scattered. So would you send us out now as missionaries? Would you help us to go be the church now? 
wherever life finds us, wherever we live across Orange County and inland and LA County, wherever you send us, God, would you use us to make a difference wherever we're at? Would you speak with each of us this week, God? Would you speak through each of us this week? And would you speak through us as a church to bring your message of hope and joy and reconciliation wherever we go? Would you let us know who we're supposed to break bread with and add, add value and encourage, literally speak courage into people? God, we want the world to be just a little better. Our communities to be just a little better because of the next six days that we're about to live. We're so grateful. We give this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.